0: Hello, welcome. So glad you guys could join us tonight. And if you're tuning in online, welcome. It is good to have you. It is good to see you guys. Um, I'm excited to have you with uh, you guys with us here. Um, we're going to dive right into finishing this sermon series on the Anthem of Hope. And we started this a while ago, and what stood out to me initially was this idea of anthem of hope. It's not just a song of hope. It's not just a phrase of hope. No, this is an anthem that should be screaming from our lives with everything that we are of hope. And in a world where it's really hard to come by joy and hope right now, this series has just been, I think, right where it's supposed to be. And so if you've maybe missed a couple weeks, or the last couple weeks, I'd like to just go back two weeks when Dan Lewis shared with us about embracing trials. That there is joy and that there is hope in these trials and difficulties that come our way. And yet, here we are, and we are called to embrace them as followers of Jesus. And then last week, JP touched on a really, really important aspect of hope, and that's being too afraid to hope that maybe we've been let down one too many times in our life where we don't even let ourselves or allow ourselves to hope. But as believers of Jesus, hope is still something that we cling to, which brings us to tonight. And I'm going to focus on clinging to hope, holding on to hope. And I think this is just a very appropriate way to end considering everything that is going on Around us, and so when I first started this series, JP had me start it. Um, it was a while ago now. In fact, we were still online. Um, this was the this would have been the last week we would have been just online before we started meeting in person. And I went over the definition of hope. So the definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. What we want, what we hope is coming, what we anticipate. Disneyland opening up someday soon, right? Anyone else? Yep, Andy, got you. This is hope because we want it to happen. We, we expect it to and now kids, if you're tuning in online, if we have any kids with us or any kids here tonight, I have a kid's point for us, and I'm going to get to this in just a moment. But our kid's point tonight is God is the rock we hold on to. Like these big boulders that we have around us, they don't move and they don't shake. God is the rock we hold on to, and I've got a cool story that goes with our kid's point a little bit later. So with that being said... I'm gonna, we're going to jump right in. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 1, and so if you'd like to pull up your Bibles, if you're online, um, pull up your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 1. And this is an interesting story. I may have to jog some of your memories because it's not a very popular one. It's about Adonijah, who was uh, one of the sons of King David, and the altar. And so I'm going to quick go over um, the back story to get to the passage we're going to be, there's kind of this long story. And so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put on my storytelling jacket for a second. And I'm going to bring us up to speed on 1 Kings chapter 1 and Adonijah. So basically this is it. King David, a lot of you guys recognize him. He's known as the king after God's own heart. His life's coming to an end. He's uh, not necessarily on his deathbed, but that's kind of the direction it's going. He's lived a long busy, hard life. And he's not, he's not totally there. In, in fact, they have nurses that are coming in and attending to him in the bed. He's still king, but that time is coming to an end. And so Adonijah, who would have been the next after Absalom, I don't know if you guys remember Absalom, but he tried to take the kingdom from David. He ended up dying. But Adonijah would have been the next in line. Now, earlier, David had promised this throne to Solomon. If you guys remember back. So he had promised it to a younger son, and Adonijah, seeing the condition that his father is in, sees an opportunity here. He sees an opportunity, and so he gets a bunch of horses and chariots, and he goes to, to David's trusted general, and he goes to even one of the high priests, the, one of the priests in the temple, and he goes, Hey, guys what if I become king? What do you think about me becoming king? And he goes behind his father's back and obviously behind Solomon's back to recruit. He was playing a little dirty here. He's recruiting some of these leaders and royal leaders, Joab and Abathar the priest, so that when he makes this announcement, he already has these people with him. He's trying to take the throne for himself. He sees an opportunity. And as I read through this, you guys, I just, I can't help, I made the comment, even the king, after God's own heart, struggled with earthly politics. He did not have a good succession plan. Even as his life is ending, he didn't didn't have a plan. And so Nathan confronts Bathsheba, which was Solomon's mother, and goes, hey, do you know what the king's doing? Do you, do, you know, do you know? have any idea what's going on? And so Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, comes to King David, and says, so, hey, you promised the throne to my son Solomon, and Adonijah's kind of doing his own thing. Now David, his life was ending, but he acts kind of shrewdly here, which is really interesting. And so I'm going to pull up a map here, because it's important for us to understand what's going on. So this is a map of Jerusalem. In Adonijah, he's got his people all together, and he's conspiring, and he's ready to take over the throne, and they would have been in this upper city right here. This was kind of a bougie area. They would have been, you can kind of see that hoity-toity house party they're doing. All their people are in there. It's like, you know, like, I don't know, the Hollywood party, something like that. But all these popular people are there. They're sipping their drinks and stuff like that. They're all up here. Now, David instructs Solomon and Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet. And he goes, okay, we know this is happening, but we got to prevent this because I did promise Solomon the throne. And so he goes, you know what, Nathan, I want you to take Solomon down to this pool right here. It's called the Serpent's Pool. This would have been a communal area. In the heat of the Middle East, this would have been an area where a lot of people would have come. And he goes, I want you to take Solomon down there, and I want you to bring the trumpets, and I want you to bring a bunch of people, and I want you to make a big announcement and anoint him king in front of everyone. David played a pretty shrewd hand. Now it was necessary. And so they come down here and they do that. And as soon as all of the people of Israel realize that the successor of David has been anointed, they just start yelling and cheering these trumpets blasts. And it's this big, big thing that's happening right here. And not too far away, their little dinner party gets interrupted with these cheers and trumpet blasts. And a servant runs to the house, runs, runs, runs up to the house and goes, do you guys have any idea what's going on? David just anointed Solomon the king. David just anointed that other guy king. Now that leads us to where we are tonight. 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 49 through 53. At this point, All Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. As you can imagine, they realized they were on the wrong side of this one. And they're going to get in trouble if they were even found associated with Adonijah. So all of his followers, everybody was like, hey, yeah, we'll do this together. We're going to crown you king. All of a sudden, just dispersed and ran. Verse 50, but Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Verse 51, then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon and is clinging to the horns of the altar. And he says, Adonijah says, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Adonijah does something interesting here. Rather than fleeing and hiding, rather than trying to make some sort of crazy stand, he runs to the temple, and right when you would have entered the temple, there would have been this large altar, and he would have clung, and I'll show you the altar in just a minute here, and he just held on to it. 52, Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be worthy, basically, (laughs) if he shuts up, and stays in his place. If he shows himself to be worthy, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, but evil if evil is found in him, he will die. Then King Solomon sent men and they brought him down from the altar and Adonijah came and bowed down to King Solomon. And Solomon said, "Go to your home." What could have escalated into almost a civil war was diffused just like that. But this leads us into, I don't I don't have traditional points for us tonight. I want to pose you guys a couple questions. I'm going to ask you questions, and I'm going to ask you these questions because I've been asking of them of myself as well. And these are for you to answer. I can't answer them for you just like you can't answer for me. But I've got a couple questions for us that I want us to really think about. The first one is this. When your life or plans are completely wrecked, where do you turn? You see, Adonijah, <laughs> whether his motives were good or not so good, all of his plans came to a halt. Everything that he had hoped for was ending, evaporated right in front of his face. When your life or plans are completely wrecked, where do you turn? Adonijah flees to a place of salvation and grace. And what I mean by that, um, go ahead and put up the altar here. This is a picture of the altar. And with the lamb on here, you kind of get the size. It would have it been pretty big. And this is the altar where all the sacrifices would have been burned on. It was made of bronze. It wasn't just a random metal. No, it was made of bronze. Why? Because bronze signified judgment. Bronze signified judgment, so that when the people of Israel would bring their sacrifices here, they're reminded of the judgment that must be cast on sin and the sacrifice of the Lamb. And this altar had four horns, one on each corner. Four horns. These four horns were a symbol of grace and salvation for the sinner. And so when Adonijah's life is falling apart, And his life is threatened. He runs to this altar and he holds on to these symbols of grace and salvation. I ask you again, when your life or plans are completely wrecked, where do you turn? Adonijah could have turned to the people he had recruited. He could have just fled out on his own and just done his own thing. Instead, he chooses to come to a place where he's basically saying, Solomon, if you're going to kill me, you're going to have to kill me in front of God. Where do you turn when life starts blowing up? And my next question is this After you receive God's grace, what is your response? You see, for many of us, we gave our lives to Christ at a, at a certain point. And it was all amazing and good at that time. But then life, you know, kind of, we get in our grooves and things start happening and we maybe feel a little bit more distance. After you receive God's grace, what is your response? See, Adonijah is going, okay, I'm clinging to this altar. I'm clinging to this. And Solomon goes, okay, I'm not going to kill you. But you better not be a problem. This better not be an issue again. Do we take our sin, our relationship with Christ that seriously? Because that's what this altar signified. That's how serious it was. Adonijah was shown grace. You and I, even for the the horrible things that maybe have happened to us or we've done, we have been shown grace. What What is our response to that? What do we do? What do we say in the response that God's grace has had on us? Adonijah chose a quiet life following the political scandal to save his life. He couldn't live the same anymore. He had to now live in complete submission to his younger brother, a place of complete humility. And you know that if he tried to do anything like that again, Solomon would snuff that out in a heartbeat. Do we take that kind of seriousness with the grace that has been offered us from our Savior? My last question is this, and this is really going to kind of lead us to the ultimate point and direction for tonight. And that, that is this, So, I'm sorry, first one is, when your life and plans are completely wrecked, where do you turn? Second question, after you receive God's grace, what is your response? Third question is, could the same place where we experience pain and suffering be the same place we would seek refuge? You see, Adonijah chose a place marked with pain and suffering for his saving grace. Guys, Nothing fun or good or joyful happened at this altar. This was a place of pain and agony. This was a place of of, of a somber encounter with God where the people of Israel would bring their sacrifices. And them with the high priest, they would have to to kill the sacrifice right there in front of them. If they were a young kid, they did it with the young children so that they knew the seriousness of, of that relationship with God. And they took some of the blood and they sprinkled it on all four corners of the altar, again, signifying that judgment. That judgment was just cast on the sacrifice and not on the sinner. Could the same place we experience such pain and suffering, could this be the same place, the same place of pain, of death, be the p- same place we seek refuge. Jesus himself, I'm going to make this quick connection to Christ, because Jesus himself, he bore his own altar, and of course I'm talking about the cross. We are talking about as our sacrifice for our sins, how we died for our sins. Well, he didn't die on the temple altar, he died on a cross. And he was forced to carry this cross through these dirty roads in Jerusalem with bruised shoulders, with a beaten back. He is carrying his own altar that he's ultimately going to die on. He clung to it. The weight pressing into his bruised and beaten shoulders, and yet it was the same place, the cross, that Jesus brought salvation to those who follow him. Why did Jesus do this? It's simple. Because the hope following the suffering made the pain well worth it. That the hope following the pain and suffering was well worth it. This is the picture. This is bringing the Old Testament into the new. This is the the grander picture, the gospel, the good news or the good story. As the gospels say, this is the good news. That judgment was cast, that Christ's blood was cast on this altar or this cross so that ours would not be. Jesus clung to this hope. He didn't cling to the pain. He didn't cling to the suffering. He clung to his altar. He clung to this cross, knowing the hope that was coming. Now I'm going to pause, and I'm going to kind of hopefully bring this together for any kids that are tuning in. And and for us, this was just like a cool moment I had this last week. I was able to take a couple days, and I went up to the Central Coast, where it's beautiful. Guys, I didn't know there was a place more beautiful than San Diego until I go up to the Central Coast. I'm sorry. It's just gorgeous up there. And I got all millennial and photography, photography-like. I'm not a very good photographer, but I think I am. And so I'm going to pull up a picture that I took. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Why don't you go back? Kids point. Here we go. God is the rock we hold on to. God is the rock we hold on to. And this is why it's our hope. Go to the picture. This is one of the pictures I took. It was gorgeous. These waves are crashing in. There's these rocks. There's wildlife. Now being the, um, the adventurer or Enneagram 7 that I am, I decide to venture out onto some of these, you know, places out here. Why? I just want to get a good picture. I think it's gonna be cool. So I'm gonna go, I start venturing out here. Now, if we've been to the beach or you've been close to the ocean, it's always unpredictable. Some waves are maybe crashing like this, and all of a sudden a big one comes in. And as I'm leaning over kind of the edge here, I'm like, oh, you know, I gotta get my good picture. As I'm leaning over, I look up, and lo and behold, there's a very large wave coming in. And at this point, (laughs) I know I'm getting wet. I know I'm getting wet. And now I could do one of two things. I could try to outrun the wave, which is not going to end very well. Or what I chose to do as I'm kind of hunched down here, I lean my back feet and I brace myself so that when the wave hits, I don't get carried along with it. I'm going to get wet either way. And so I brace myself, and sure enough, it comes in, and it goes out, and I just kind of laugh because I've, you know, soaked knees down. Shoes and everything. But this is, what, this is why it's so important. This is why it's hope. This is why it's the rock. Because as the waves of difficulty, pain, disappointment, fear, and hurt inevitably cl- crash into us, guys, life is going to blow up at us at any point. We don't know. There's going to be great things that happen, and there's also going to be really, really hard things Waves are going to inevitably crash into us. They're going to hit us. We're going to get wet. Life's going to get messy sometimes. When they inevitably crash into us, hope is the rock which we dig our heels in, knowing that it will not move. Because my hope is not in me outrunning the wave. My hope is in the rock is not going to move. And as long as I'm holding on to this rock, I am secure. And I had this realization that hope isn't the hope isn't the panoramic looking over all the beautiful scenery, just kind of like the top of the mountain type of a thing where you can see everything and life is great. Hope is a little more difficult than that. Sometimes hope is it's hard to hope because we, we're scared of what. Might happen. Maybe we're scared, like JP mentioned last week. We're scared to hope. We're scared to hope in something if it doesn't happen. Hope is this beautiful picture of Jesus going to the cross, (laughs) of your youth pastor getting soaked up on the central coast. Hope is this, what do I know for sure? And when Jesus went to the cross, you guys, when he went to and he carried his altar, he goes, okay, I am doing this for one simple reason. To save us. To be that sacrifice. Guys, as we conclude this hope series, I want to ask you this question. Could the same place we experience such pain and suffering be the same place we seek refuge? Now to be a little transparent with you, oh, very transparent with you guys. In the months following Jill's passing, I don't think I sang a single worship song for over three months. It was too hard. It was too painful. But it was in this moment where I couldn't sing. I still love God, I still love Jesus, and so I had to choose and I and so I started playing the piano because I still held on to this hope, but when you're in the messy middle, as Dan talked about when you're stuck in that middle, as life transitions aren't going well, school's not going well, homeschooling during the pandemic isn't going well, friendships aren't going well, whatever it is, that it's, in the, it's moments of messiness that we still have to cling on to this hope. And so I started playing the piano because I didn't have words. And that is beauty of Hope. It can be messy. Christ's life was anything but peaceful. And yet he held on to this hope. You and I have the same opportunity to hold on to this hope. What really matters? Is it our homes? Is it our jobs? Is it our status? Is it our friends? Is it our influence? Is it our place on social media? What really matters? And what are you going to choose to hold on to? Because all those other things, <laughs> they're going to be tossed around like those waves. But our hope in Christ through the difficult, even when we don't have words, even when we don't have, guys, I would, I would open up my Bible and I'd go, I can't read it. There's nothing in here that's going to make me feel better. I, I, I know what it says. Hope is digging our feet into this rock, knowing that these waves and difficulties in life are going to hit us. We have an opportunity to hold on to that hope. But we've got to choose each day, like Jesus says, choose this day who you're going to serve. Because as soon as I let go of that rock, maybe, you know, five, ten minutes later, another wave could come crashing in. We've got to choose to identify with the hope that Christ has given us. And I'm going to get towards the end here, and I'm just going to read Romans chapter 8, verses 24 to 25, and it says this. It says, for in this hope we were saved. It was in this hope that Jesus went on the cross. It's this hope is bigger picture, this grander picture of salvation, of grace. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. We don't see it in front of us. Guys, all the hope that I've clung on to, all the hope that I have in my life right now is simply not seen. It's not there. Who hopes for what we already have? Verse 25, but if we hope in what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. We choose to wait patiently on the days where it's difficult to open the Bible and read, on the days where it's difficult to sing a worship song, on the days it's difficult to to not choose sin. Because sin sounds nice. Sin's easy. Sin is what everyone else around us is doing. Guys, if we want to talk peer pressure about sin, the, the world is literally our peer pressure to sin. Every day, constantly. It's hard. But we have hope and we wait for it patiently. Now I'm going to have Faith come up here and she's going to start playing for our our time of communion. If you don't have a communion cup, go ahead, raise your hand and we'll make sure to get you one. But guys, this is the, this is communion. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the good story. That this altar that Adonijah ran and he clung to for his life. Was the same place where he was reminded that he should be the one on that altar dying. But there was a sacrifice. This guy Jesus. This guy Jesus. Who, for the hope set before him, it says, endured the cross, scorning its shame. In that moment where he's bearing the cross, you Christ. Like, can you even imagine? I, I can't even imagine. But it wasn't, it wasn't him returning to his Father in heaven. It wasn't him commanding thousands of angels. It was this hope that we, you, myself, would be united with him someday. It's a hope that he could not see in front of him. That same hope. Today, 2020 in San Diego, we have to make this choice to cling on to this hope because this hope doesn't move. This hope isn't tossed around by the waves. And we have to cling on to this hope knowing that this hope could be the same place of pain and suffering. That we could run away from it. We can run away from the rock We can run away from it and think, oh, this would be better over here, it would be better over here. But as these waves come in, hold on to it because that rock is not moving. And so if you've put your faith in Jesus, that's why we take communion. It's because we don't have to deal with the altars anymore. It's because no more animals have to die. Remembering that we were the ones that should have died and Jesus allowed us not to because he loves you and I so much. I'll end with this question again. Could the same place could the same place we experience such pain and suffering be the same place we seek our refuge. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that we can hold on to him as our hope. We hold on to him like a rock, immovable, unshakable, As the world beats around us like reckless waves, we can cling to this rock knowing that it will not move. God, help us tonight and tomorrow and the day following that we would just be reminded of this every day that we hold on to this hope. Nothing else, plain and simple. Anything else is just going to make this more complicated. We choose to hold on to our hope in Jesus Christ. Help us to hold on to that tonight. Help us to show that hope to those around us. Help us to be that hope in this world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.